This is the Liberal Europe podcast by ELF. Bringing liberal ideas into the political debate. With Leszek Jezdziewski and Ricardo Silvestra. Hey, welcome back to the Liberal Europe podcast. This is the 24 version and you are with me, Ricardo Silvestra. And naturally, I'm with Leszek. Leszek. <laughs> Please say your last name. I can never say your last name. It's terrible for me. Hi, hi everyone. Hi Ricardo. It's Leszek Jaszewski here, but please don't focus on this one. <laughs> so we're back and by the end of our conversation, we'll go a little bit into what this year will bring for our podcast. Uh, first of all, naturally, we're very, very happy that you are here with us and backed one more year of this project, which is, which is Leszek, by the way, a very important year. We have elections for the European Parliament. We also have the US election. We'll talk about that a little more later. But before that, I really want to have your take, and I'm sure our listeners also, on what happened in Poland uh, regarding the elections and finally a shift of power in your home country. So tell us tell us your top line assessment of what happened and what is happening now. Right, thank you, Ricardo. Uh, well, I do, I do believe that uh, those who listen to our podcast had well, well, way too much uh, from me about Poland. Uh, obviously, it was it was important last year. I, I do promise to scale back uh, a little bit this year. But yes, it was a huge change because after eight years of peace of right wing party ruling, um, it came as a sort of unexpected turn of events. Uh, when with the highest turnout in the Polish history, uh, almost 75%, the uh, coalition of opposition parties won. And now uh, they are ruling. There is uh, still a peace president uh, who is threatening to veto most of the law they want to introduce. So, so they have to go into the sort of gray zone if they want to amend the Mm, the things that that uh, law and justice did in the past, especially with regard to the to the rule of law, so it's a bit chaotic and difficult. And the lawyers seems to be most important these days. Um, we we see an interesting um, turn in the way in which uh, now it is the peace protesting on the streets, waving flags and and chanting constitution. Um, but I do believe that after a couple of months, it might be possible that we will finally get to the stage in which uh, Poland can also be active on international stage and not just so inward looking. So very much looking forward to that. Which had, by the way, a very good start with this new government regarding the environment, regarding Europe, regarding Poland's position on Ukraine, on Central Eastern Europe. But let me get back to, and I'm not interviewing Leszek. We <laughs> talked before the podcast started. We're just going to have a free-flowing conversation. But I really want to talk to you about this counterpower because I come from a country which has a semi-presidential governing system and the president can be a counterweight, but mostly a counterweight when he's trying to balance policies and politics. But uh, are you afraid that in Poland, uh, President Duda can really uh, be uh, an obstacle for this uh, new um, time of governance in Poland? Well, technically, yes. I think politically, no. It's, 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 as, as you said, it's a veto power. It is, um, he can sort of slow down things. We have presidential elections in 2025 anyway. 
so it's not forever but uh, as they didn't uh, i mean the new coalition didn't allow do that to get the momentum i do believe that they will find a way and they're already finding the way to go around vetoes of course not with all issues especially on the more let's say progressive side of things especially abortion will be basically impossible mm. the new abortion law to introduce but you know sometimes i think it can also be a very good excuse because this coalition is from center right to center left so having this president could be an excuse not to introduce the controversial law within the coalition Mm-hmm. But I'm very. I hope we will also talk about Portugal today, perhaps a bit <laughs> later, because Portugal is facing the early elections, and uh, I'm very curious what's your what's your point of view on, on that one. Indeed, and we can leave that for a little later, because the other thing, and you just mentioned that we had a populist uh, party in power in in Poland. This was like a success story in all of Europe. We were all very happy here in my home country also to see this coalition of uh, democratic parties beating down piss and taking it from the power structure. But on the other hand, populism still is growing in Europe, Leszek. We can only see what happened in Slovakia, what's happening in Germany, what's happening in France, but more specifically, what happened in the Netherlands, where party for freedom pvv from gert wilders actually won and this was quite a shock to the system so you guys experienced this for many years uh what do you think specifically in the netherlands but thinking of a more general perspective of the european politics can we beat down this populist movements like we did in poland well uh I, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on the Netherlands politics, but uh, it seems to me that uh, there is a general trend. It's not just the Netherlands. The Netherlands has just had these elections, and it seems to be a, a surprise. But uh, anti-migration is, I think, the driving force of the populism in the West. Mm-hmm. In the East, I think it's more complex, but uh, or, or at least there are some also other alternative issues. And... Uh, it seems that the problem of uh, of migration, but also of the integration of the existing minorities of people of of um, of origin who seems, according to at least some of the right wing populists, not to integrate in the way they expect them to integrate. It seems that voters are picking up on those, and we see this trend already in France. We see it in Netherlands. Uh, also, we see some parties emerging. I think. On, in the same tune, let's say, in the Iberian Peninsula, which I think was immune before to the right-wing populist movements. But I, I, I wonder, how do you see, for example, this charismatic Hart Wilders? Do you think that it is, it is the personality, or do you think that there are some issues that were not addressed by the mainstream parties? Um, or is it a failure of the previous governments? Uh, how, how, what's, your, what's your point of view on the Netherlands? That's a great question, Leszek. I follow the website Political Europe very closely regarding polls. I'm I'm this kind of a poll junkie, <laughs> trying to hmm. anticipate what's come what's come next. And you are on on the spot, which is of course there's some structural problems in the Netherlands. Our friends, both from D66 and VVD, 
that I um, have the pleasure to know and, and interact in Brussels, they tell me that they've been seeing a regression on some liberal values and ideas in the Netherlands. And it goes from abortions, goes from like individual rights, from freedom of expression. But I'm totally with you because on those polls on the political website, you saw a tremendous shift when we had the Gaza Strip conflict with Israel and Palestine. And you had all those rallies in the streets of the major cities in the Netherlands where people were rightfully so expressing their discontent about Israel actions in the Palestine. Of course, we're not going to go into that. But that shift where you saw the intentions of people voting in, in PVV just completely skyrocketed. It goes exactly what you were saying. And that is also a cudgel in Italy, in, in Germany, uh, in Belgium. There are, of course, other issues. And we talked about this price of living, inflation, energy. We can go to even to other uh, details on policy. So this, this tendency of this extreme right wings and uh, populists to try to convey this message that Europe should be closed to uh, illegal migration. And who knows, maybe Leszek, following the example they see in the United States, maybe even to legal migration. But that is uh, something that I don't think it will happen here in Europe that easily because we need those people here. We need those people working in the European Union space. So I'm a little bit afraid. Of course, the European Union and the European Commission, they set now a new project new packages for dealing with migration. So let's see how that goes. Of course, it's going to take a long time to implement, but particularly with the European Union elections and with the growth of the extreme parties, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, let's try us liberals and us democratics and centrists and progressives to counteract that, that kind of slogans and that kind of uh, narratives that the populists set so do you want to react to this? Well, I just, I'll, I just totally agree, especially what you said about having a counter-narrative. I do believe that we should not be just passive recipients of whatever, um, whatever fear the, the right wing try to instigate in the population. At the same time, I do believe that liberals should not be the ones perceived as the uh, people who don't want the borders, because I do believe yes. that, unfortunately, voters... Uh, would be very skeptical to support these sorts of um, this sort of political political stance on 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 the borders and migration. But uh, I would like to move on because we promised, and I also would insist on on turning to Portugal, which will have elections very soon because in March two thousand twenty four, so well before the European elections. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is, we, we mentioned the, the populist rise, even in Portugal, the, the party Chega. But before we'll get perhaps into the expected results, why don't you tell us a bit more? Because I don't think that everyone understands why we have this early election. What sort of scandal drove down the government in November 2023? What really happened? Why Antonio Costa had to resign and call for early elections? Yes, well, um, I'm sure you're making our anti-socialist uh, set of the audience very happy with this conversation. Yes, it is true. So so the people that don't follow uh, Portuguese politics closely, and also Leszek, maybe we can talk a little bit about Spain also. 
that is something that is also very, very uh, keen right now. But what happened was that um, the socialists have been in power for eight years now, and the corruption, and I'm talking about party-wise, of course, government-wise, Portugal always have examples of corruption, and we try to fight that mightily, not only internally, but also with our friends from the European Union and trying to fix that. But this is just more corruption at you know the higher levels of the political party. So our prime minister was indi- not indicted, but he's been investigated by our judicial system about uh, traffic of influence and even of uh, corruption by receiving money to then have decisions made at the government level. So this was quite naturally uh, the result of years and years of this. Like not too long ago, our Minister of Infrastructure was also accused of corruption. Uh, There has been a lot of corruption uh, cases regarding our flight carrier, our energy system. So again, if, if, if I go into this, I'll, I'll stay here all day. So just to finish that point, so what happened was that it was discovered that two people from the cabinet of the prime minister, very close to them, actually one of them uh, is best friend, had like thousands and thousands of heroes in his office that was like right next door to the prime minister officer with money stashed in books and in wine cases. So this is kind of like a joke. <laughs> Unfortunately, it isn't. So and there's like recordings of conversations between those people and the prime minister where again, things are a little bit easy. And so the our uh, judicial system is investigating. So just for me to finish and, and, and throw it to you so that you can give us an outside perspective. The, the president of the republic accepted the resignation of the prime minister, called for new elections. But what's happening, and it goes to the direction of what you were saying, Leszek, is the growth of the extreme right in Portugal, which is a party that you already mentioned his name in Portuguese is Chega, and translated to English would be enough. It's it's a non-policy political party. It's a non-ideological, it's a non-ideas. This is just like screaming their lungs out as much as they can about things that, again, are perceived as to be problems, but they have no solutions for it. The leader of the party is quite friendly with Marine Le Pen, with Viktor Orban, with Gerd Wilders. Now, what, what will happen in Portugal, because two years ago we were exactly in the same situation, and the Social Democrats were supposed to win, But because of the Portuguese electorate being afraid that the Social Democrats will then bring the extreme right wing to the government, like in Spain, the Socialists had a majority. So that was two years ago. Flash forward to today, we're going to go to elections and the Socialists might win again. Because again, the electorate doesn't want to have a right wing coalition where you have the Social Democrats, the Christian Democrats, maybe the Liberals but then the extreme right wing. So with that uh, painting, uh, what, is your, what is your view from, from outside Portugal? Yes, right. So uh, uh, I do believe that the an explanation that when you say Social Democratic Party, you do mean conservatives, right? The, the Barroso Party, because yes. I think a lot, of people, <laughs> a lot of people got confused that this Social Democrats can create the, the coalition with the Shega, <laughs> but obviously it's, it's a right-wing party. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, 
I'm I'm curious how I, I suppose you, since you have elections, you might have you must have a lot of polls around. To what extent does corruption charges drive the support for the for the far right, or is it a sort of stable thing? As you say that this is even uh, a factor that might. Uh, support the incumbent governments and give them the, the chance to form the government again because they have a chance to rule uh, without the coalition partners, I understand. And and the Social Democrats, the, the Christian Democratic Party, would need a, a coalition partner. So the, because very often corruption has been used by the populists as a sort of theme, drain the swamp, there was the the chant of the of the far right of the Trumpians uh, in the on the MAGA in the in the US. Does it influence at all the the the, the polls and the potential election results? What do you expect, or other other reasons for the rise of the right wing? And there, sometimes also there is those surges of the right wing support, and then we see the collapse of the support uh, for them uh, when people more realistically assess their chances of of ruling. So how do you see the future of the right wing in Portugal? And to what extent does corruption charges influence the, uh, the the outcome? Those are some fantastic questions, Leszek. That is because that is the reason why you are the best host of the Liberal Year. Uh, after you, Ricardo. No, no, no. <laughs> By far. <laughs> that, that, that is a fantastic point because the, the growth of the extreme right wing in Portugal, it's quite different from Spain. Spain, Vox, and again, we can talk about that in a second. Vox has a different set of ideas and policies. Here in Portugal, like I mentioned before, of course, this is my analysis, uh, Chega is not really a solutions-driven political party. It's more like, again, pointing out the deficiencies of a very deficient system, which is the Portuguese system of governance and of, uh, of government, governance and government, and say, see, see all these problems. But I'm going to answer your question very straightforward, Leszek, because it's a very important question. This is the 15 to 20% of population, and we've been seeing this all over Europe and in the United States, as you mentioned, which is people that are against liberal values and ideas. They are illiberal at heart. Or what happens, for example, in Hungary, what happens in Poland, what happens in Slovakia, which is those people that don't want migration, don't want gay people, uh, don't want um, abortion, don't want the decriminalization of uh, light drugs or, for example, euthanasia, because Portugal still is a very Catholic country like Poland. So these are the people that are anti-system. And, and they will try to beat down progress, getting back to, you know, make Portugal great again or make Poland great again. So that is pretty much what happens. Now, the question and answering your second question, which is, we're at the point here in Portugal that people will vote socialists, even if the socialists are showing that they have bad governance and they are corrupt because they don't want the extreme right wing in government. They don't want it in power. And that actually happened in Spain. And maybe we can talk a little bit about Spain and having your perspective on that. Because PP, the popular party, also had, they had to win the elections. They have everything to win the elections against PSOE. And still, you know, when they won the election, they didn't have enough votes to constitute government. And the rest of history now, PSOE has this 
very weird coalition <laughs> to be in government. So what may happen, and just maybe to finish Portugal, what may happen in Portugal is that the socialists win again, or even if the social democrats win, they will not have enough votes to create a government if they don't bring the extreme right wing to the coalition. And then the socialists will turn to the greens, will turn to the moderate uh, left, a little less moderate left, which is called the left bloc, similar to Die Link in Germany, and then make a government which is more socialist, center-left kind of ideology. But we may have the socialists for another four years in government. So That's, that's a bit ironic. And I think also it could be... I, I don't say that in the Portuguese con context because obviously people fear more the Chega in the government than the comeback of the party accused of corruption. I do think that one of the reasons of, of why the populists are go beyond the support of this 15-20%, while sometimes they become a mainstream party, is one reason is that a lot of people are just so exhausted of the mainstream politics and so mm. exhausted that whatever you choose, in the end, it seems like it's the same party or very similar parties with very similar sets of economic and, and, um, and social policies. Uh, I do believe that this is one of the reasons. And also, uh, we see that this, uh, this far-right rise is a much bigger problem to the right-wing parties. We see the Manfred Weber uh, mm. in Germany trying to embrace at least some of the more moderates of this, if we can, if we can call it more moderates of this far-right far uh, uh, far parties to, to be able to compete with the, uh, with the socialists in, in, certain, in certain countries. Uh, but on the other hand, the, the left also seems to be weakened for, for different reasons, right? Perhaps more structural reasons. Um, I, I think it's, it's, a good, it's a good moment to, to turn to Spain, as you suggested, which is an unusual, I would say, suggestion from the Portuguese. Um, but uh, it's, it's, I, I must say that I've been uh, thrilled and, and sort of amazed to see the Pedro Sanchez come back from almost like from the rise from the dead mm -hmm. uh, uh, again. Again, he's a survivalist, and uh, it's, it's, he managed to make this coalition, very unlikely coalition of all the minorities supporting uh, his, his government, even though it seemed at the beginning that this might be a, a conservative win. How, I wonder, as a, as a neighbor, uh, to, 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 to what do you think, how do you assess what, what, what's, his, what's his success story? Why, why he managed to do this and why, why the right wing didn't have it this time again? That that is a great uh, point of yours, which is it is our neighbors, <laughs> so we pay close attention to them. But the thing is, and now this means editorializing my position here in the podcast. We're just having a conversation. I'm not, you know, making a political statement. But Spain right now is also for all Europe an example of how extreme can you get when you try to have power. On, on the other side of the spectrum, which is to have independentist uh, political parties, extreme left political parties. So those coalitions also are very fragile and it can even be very toxic. So Pedro Sanchez, when he like had to include everyone from the Basque separatists to the, to the parties in the north of Spain, uh, to uh, the, 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 as I said, the extreme right left wing, 
So I, I, I don't know, and this goes to the, your point, which you were saying that people are tired with the system, but to develop new systems and having kind of experimentation, just because people don't want to vote in, you know, the parties that are in the center, it, it worries me also. Um, on the other hand, you, you, we, we can have like, again, the Dutch example, where now it's going to be quite impossible to make a government coalition because no one wants to uh, have a government with Geert Wilders. But on the other hand, like, for example, our friends in Sweden, they made a coalition with the Sweden Democrats and actually with Liberalna, which is a, Swed which is a liberal party. And the things have been working. So it's very regional, but just finish maybe the Iberia Peninsula because I really want to have your take on European Parliament elections. This experimentation makes me nervous, and in particular in Portugal or in Spain, to bring Vox or to bring Chega, so to bring the extreme right wing to uh, the government scares me. But on the other hand, the Portuguese example, it's a little more soft because if the socialists turn to the Greens, the moderate left and even the radical left, it's still more manageable than what we're seeing in, in Spain. I, I'm, I'm quite afraid that Spain, this Spain experiment is going to be terribly wrong. That's, I think, a very good point. And I see something of sorts as, I, I might call it anti-populist populism, in which all ends, all ends that, that lead to the uh, preventing a populist from ruling are justified. And I do believe that all, not all of them are justified. And sometimes, as you said, there are different radicalisms, and especially in the country which had which has internal problems and uh, uh, the, the, there are the parties which can be radical in a very different way, uh, nationalist, separatist, and that could be dangerous for the country in a different way than the right-wing government might be. Mm -hmm. uh, but why don't you, because speaking of right-wing, I think it's a, it's a good moment to, to sort of talk about our plans and European elections, because we've been already talking for quite long. But this is the first of the podcast for this year. So I think, and it's the two of us, right? So I do believe that we are also in um, right to do this uh, to our listeners. But uh, I think we'll, we'll commit quite quite a lot of our attention to this year European elections. Uh, do you already have plans, Ricardo, um, what to do about it? Yes, and because exactly as you mentioned, the identity and democracy uh, family in the European Parliament is now projected to be the third uh, biggest family in the European Parliament. And this is, again, Lega, PVV, Schig, uh, uh, IFD in Germany, PVO in, in Austria. So these are not people that want to build a European Union project like the one you and I want to, Leszek. So yes, um, to our listeners, Leszek just opened the door to that conversation. The podcast is going to suffer a little bit of uh, change in, in a good way, naturally. But one of them has uh, with the fact that as Leszek was mentioning, we're going to focus on the European elections. I'll have some podcasts, and I hope I can bring you to that on the U.S. elections, which is also very important to uh, to the to Europe and to the world. I would say, <laughs> but that that may, maybe you can go into that a little, a couple of minutes, Leszek. So we're going to have talks about the uh, European uh, elections, and then we're going to have talks about the aftermath where we will try to navigate what will be a new European Parliament, a new European Commission, so a new uh, set of 
policies and rules and, and, and functioning of the European Parliament for the next five years. What about your side? You will still have a focus naturally on a Central Eastern Europe region? Well, I think uh, you know. I think we, we we should try to divide Europe among ourselves. It, it, it should be fun, and so I, I'm very happy to, to 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 try to coordinate the way in which we're doing this. Because also, obviously, you have a lot of expertise and insight. I'm always constantly surprised by how much you know about my country and the region, and of which I must say. I'm not an expert either, and sometimes when you when you mention Serbia, I know I think you also talk about Serbia. So outside of the EU, um, I think it might be in the cards as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I might um, I might allow you. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I think I will I will adjust and also try to focus on uh, perhaps the big picture, at least in some of the biggest countries in the Western Europe as well, because. It's not just European elections, but I think maybe even more importantly, it is the sort of trends, the internal trends, the political trends that we'll see uh, strengthened or weakened by the European elections and the potential future changes of government in France and Germany, well, in Italy. Yes. So I, I think I will, I will try this here, not to be just geopolitical or just talk about enlargements. I mean... We haven't talked just about it, but I think it was very prominent in the podcast, especially on my side. So I will try to have a more diverse look on the on the also internal European affairs. And I think the European elections are a very good excuse. And of course, we will definitely talk about US elections. I I, I promised to bring one day an apple bomb to the podcast and to talk about the, what Trump means for Europe if he's got elected and what we can do about it. Uh, and of course the US elections and uh, yeah I think we'll be pretty busy especially in the first half of the year but then we'll have the new challenges uh, in, the, in the other half. Indeed Leszek as you said and very correctly so we're going to be very busy we also counting with our listeners to get involved get into the action help us then uh, promote liberal values and ideas and particularly as we move into the European election and also as you said Leszek then we start getting into the US election cycle so it's going to be quite busy here but I'm very happy to do this project with you um, for our listeners I have the highest regard for Leszek Leszek does a tremendous job and uh, I'm looking forward to see you also in person in Woods for the Freedom Games, which is a yes, must, yes. <laughs> must attend. That's, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to say, because the beginning of the year should be the time of commitments, right? And, <laughs> and one, of the, one of the things we will do this year, and I can invite you already, we're going to finally do the live podcast at the Freedom Games. It is October 18th uh, to 20th, so there's plenty of time to reserve your cheap flights to Wuj or or if you can go by train, uh, that's it's it's relatively easy to get there to the Freedom Games. We'll talk about it more, but this year we're definitely going to the live, at least one live podcast show, uh, and you'll be delighted. I saw Ricardo's ideas, and I can't wait to put them into action. But before that, uh, we are very much looking forward to your feedback because, as Ricardo mentioned, we'll be doing a lot of changes in the podcast. So these changes are for you to enjoy it and listen until the very end. And if you manage to stay with us as long, uh, I just want to uh, wish you a very, very happy 2024. And I'm very much looking forward to our cooperation, Ricardo, because it's so much fun, especially when you are uh, 
it's very rare that both of us are in the podcast. We should do it more often, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much, uh, all of you. And uh, well, uh, please tune in uh, next week uh, and, uh, and follow the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. To be continued. You are listening to the Liberal Europe podcast by the European Liberal Forum. This podcast was co-financed by the European Parliament.